Well, it's good to be starting a new term. I must admit, I'm feeling really excited about this term. I hope you are as well. And uh, welcome, uh, hello to those who are online as well as those who are here, uh, including those who, who will watch this later, as many of our viewers do, as we now know. And um, hopefully some of those on holiday as well will be joining in at some point. Uh, so here we are, September the uh, 20... No, not 21st. September the... I couldn't read my notes. The sun was catching on. Uh, September the 3rd, 2021. That was where I got the, 20, the 21st from. And uh, we have had 18 months of a pandemic. And uh, since it started back in March last year, everything has changed. West Ham haven't stopped winning. <laughs> now, I, I don't know how you explain this. It, it is remarkable, but it is, it is a proven fact. They, 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 their form has been incredible ever since uh, they no longer had fans shouting at them, getting on their backs. But I, I went uh, last week to my first game, as, as you know, and uh, they failed to win. So there we go. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, obviously, apart from West Ham and maybe one or two other silver linings, it's basically been a really awful time, hasn't it, for many people? A very difficult time, a very disruptive time, and churches have been affected uh, just as much as anyone else, closing for a large period of time. And we're still, as is evident, um, uh, you know, uh, not got everyone back yet. We're probably at about 60%, something like that. And um, although less today, and um, you know, we're, we're we're desperate to get back to to where we were. But of course, God has new things. God will bring people back in their own time. Um, but things won't be the same, and they can be better. And I believe this term is really going to help us get to this new season, this new place, with all of the advantages and benefits of the very difficult time that we've been through. That God wants to bring us. Um, and let's believe that his purposes are good and that he can use any setback, any pandemic, any frustration, any apparent limitation for his good uh, to revive and renew and restore his church. And uh, we're largely back to normal, at least in what we're doing, aren't we? We've, for the first time, we've got our chairs in the front half kind of back uh, to normal. We had a, uh, the wedding blessing yesterday and we wanted uh, that for that. And uh, we've got our staff team back up to our full complement. We're delighted to have Bethany and, of course, two for the price of one to a degree in Jacob. And uh, we're delighted to have you uh, and Joe back as well that we celebrated last week. Um, and uh, we've got a new refreshed PCC. And uh, there's lots of reasons uh, for gratitude and hope. And I should tell you as well, if you're not aware of this, they're now getting pretty well close to 50 people every week at the new church plant, which is fantastic, because it was just 17 that originally went from here. They've only been going since Easter, and uh, most of that was outside in England. So, you know, this is brilliant. God is really blessing what's going on there as well. And uh, that's part of our story, and we can celebrate that too. But does that mean that everything is as we would want it to be? Of course it doesn't. And I want to get the, to the heart of that now, of what isn't there yet, by asking you um, a question, um, which you can just turn to your neighbour. Uh, so do talk to someone that, that you're next to or close to. Um, and the question is this, if you feel able to answer the question, that is. If not, listen to what the other person has to say. How would you describe the state of our church? Okay, 
Now, this is not a question about does it need a good dusting or you know, a lick of paint here or there. I'm not so much interested in the physical environment, important though that is. But where has it left us spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, even physically? Okay? So a couple of minutes um, just to turn to your neighbour and share what, what you've observed or sensed uh, about that. Okay? Okay, if I can uh, bring that to a close. I know you could have gone on probably for half an hour, but um, hopefully that was interesting. Um, I'd be interested to hear, probably not now actually, I think, I think we need to, get to crack on, but you know, afterwards, do come and share with myself or Liz or one of the other uh, members of the leadership team just about anything that came up in your discussion. And uh, my, my reason for asking, though, though primarily, though, is, is, you know, is just to demonstrate that there is rebuilding to be done. Rebuild is our sermon series as uh, we've branded it and Ben has given us a, some great graphics for that. And um, we've got a lot to do, um, but God will do it. And he'll do that both for us as a church, but also us as individuals. Because I think we've all recognized as well, and we've touched on this over the last few months, that actually most of us have found ourselves going a little distant from God and certainly from each other through the pandemic. And that's taking a while uh, to get fully back on track. But this series is going to address both of these things. It's designed to do so. And actually, the book of Nehemiah is going to fit really well. And it's going to do it by looking at the story of a man who offered himself to God to tackle the problems of the whole people of God and did it by following God's individual call on his life. And the prayer behind this series from me and from the whole leadership and preaching team is this that you will discover the call on your life in this next season and that that would play its part, if it relates to that, in helping our call as a church to rebuild and be renewed and restored and revived. So we pray that just as God called Nehemiah and used him, God will call and use you. So today, my job this isn't an exposition of, of that passage, which is pretty short anyway. It's an introduction, really, to whet our appetite as to how this series uh, is really going to speak and minister to us, I believe. And um, 
I'm going to do it with three uh, parts, three H's, in fact, uh, so you can quickly or easily remember. First of all, a history, a little history, a historical overview. How did we get to the time of, of Nehemiah? Uh, then an introduction to the hero of the book, Nehemiah himself. And then finally, just outline some of the connections uh, to the here and now. What's the relevance of Nehemiah to us today? So that's where we're heading. On with the history then. And uh, let me take you from uh, the sermon series that we did three years ago. It's actually one of my favorites. Do you remember this? Journey to the Promised Land. It was a great one. We looked from Adam and Eve right through to Joshua taking uh, the Jewish people into the land of Canaan. That was 1400 BC that he did that. And now you're going to have a whistle-stop tour for the next few minutes of the next thousand years until another long journey which is the journey that we're focusing on today, the journey of those Jewish people again from where they'd been dispersed out to in captivity, in wilderness, spiritually speaking, back into the promised land. This is the second great journey of the Bible. And um, here's a slide that sort of illustrates uh, that journey uh, from journey to the promised land, the patriarchs which is really what we looked at in that series. Then we've got life and captivity in Egypt, the back end of that, um, through to the wilderness years. Uh, actually, I need to turn around to see it. Then Judges, um, the book of Judges, which follows Joshua. And that's people uh, that you all have heard of, like Ehud, uh, Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. Uh, they're all in that era. That was an era uh, from 1375 BC to 1050 BC, and uh, in which the nation-state was consolidated and important spiritual lessons were learnt. Then comes the era of the kings with the prophet Samuel as the bridging figure. And he was old enough to actually remember Samson and indeed Obed, who was the son of Ruth and Boaz, if you know that story, who was, went on to be the grandfather of David. And it was, Sam, it was Samuel that the elders of Israel turned to when they decided that they wanted uh, God to give Israel a king. So it was he who anointed Saul, first of all, and then a bit later chose and anointed David, whose reign, together with the early years of his son Solomon's reign, were very much the high points of the kingdom of Israel. Saul ruled from 1050 to 1010 BC, a surprisingly long reign of 40 years, perhaps, as we often think about it being quite short uh, David ruled from 1010 to 970, another 40 years. And then, maybe somewhat suspiciously, we're told that Solomon also ruled for another 40 years until 930 BC. Though from that point, I think the dates of the kings can be more reliably verified. However, from that point also, sadly, tragically, we need two lists of kings, which you probably know. Because Solomon's sins of intermarriage with numerous foreign wives. In fact, numerous is probably downplaying it. It was in the hundreds. Not sure how he managed that, but there we go. There he did. Uh, Israel and Solomon are punished by God. A punishment not to be implemented during Solomon's reign, but the moment that he uh, finished, uh, that he died rather, um, what happened was God uh, allowed two of Solomon's sons to, to fight over the throne. And it ended up to, in a division of the nation of Israel into a northern kingdom of Israel based on ten of the tribes, the northern tribes, uh, with one of his sons. 
and then uh, the other two tribes around uh, the new smaller nation of Judah centered around Jerusalem. And uh, what happens uh, is Judah is a little bit more um, centered on God, um, a little bit greater devotion, which means a little bit of a slower decline. Uh, but essentially, the overall direction of travel, and I'm afraid, is pretty similar for the two new nations. Both of them. It's a, it's a story of apostasy and sin. And yes, there are a few good kings that are quite well known, like Hezekiah and Josiah in Judah's later years, offering some brief restoration of hope and faith. And yet, as the sin and spiritual decline Increase. So did the prophecies of judgment from the likes of Amos in the north to later Isaiah in the south. Prophecies that actually if they don't mend their ways, the kingdom will be no more. And that was what happened. Those prophecies were fulfilled, first of all, when the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. And uh, yeah, um, that was tragic enough. And uh, you can read all about that in, um, it would be uh, one or two kings, wouldn't it, that you'd find that. And then second, uh, with the ultimate catastrophe, the devastating impact of the fall of Jerusalem and Judah to the Babylonian Empire in 586 BC. The final nail in the coffin of Israel as a kingdom and as an independent nation state. We cannot overstate how awful that must have been absolutely devastating all that god had done all that the people looked back on fondly all that they held dear was ruined the nation was no more and all of the the educated and middle classes the younger folk were dragged off to uh, babylon you'll you'll know the story nebuchadnezzar was uh, the king Uh, Babylon's located in modern-day Iraq. Of course, the story of Daniel is set uh, in that context and time in the exile, which is a famous period, albeit a very traumatic period of Israel's history as well. And uh, you might also know and remember a famous 1970s number one single by Boney M, also set in that time. By the waters of... Liz is even starting to sing it! (laughs) There we go. So perhaps we can uh, listen to that at some point soon. If this was an all-age service, we'd be dancing around to that. But anyway, it's not. So the exile lasted 70 years, during which the Babylonian Empire gave way to the Persian Empire during that time, which is why we have uh, Persia suddenly uh, relevant when the exile comes to an end. And it comes to an end in the most unexpected and wonderful uh, way, in a real answer to prayer. And if you've ever read the second half of Isaiah from, verse, from chapter 40 onwards, you'll know that the whole focus shifts from these prophecies of, of destruction and judgment, which is all leading up to the exile, to prophecies of comfort and restoration that are just the most wonderful, beautiful prose set into that context of exile. And it mentions there in Isaiah 42 and 43, Cyrus who God is going to raise up, who was a Persian king, that God, despite the fact that he was a pagan, God spoke to him and said that you need to allow the Jewish people back 
into their homeland to rebuild the temple. And that's what he did. Very bravely, he issued an, an edict which commanded not just that the Jews should be allowed to go, but that they would be blessed along the way by uh, the rest of the people of the Persian Empire. And uh, the first uh, batch of people, as you can see on that diagram, went under Zerubbabel, um, immediately following uh, that edict. Uh, So that's the first group that go. And uh, then you've got a second group under Ezra in 458 BC. So the first, uh, the Cyrus's edict and the first return was 538. So we've got 80 years later, then under Ezra, And then 13 years later, under Nehemiah from 445 BC, we've got this third batch of people. Now, even then, they were a small minority, as we'll go on to hear. It was by no means a full restoration, but it was significant nonetheless. It was wonderful nonetheless. And it showed that they had a forgiving God who, yes, would judge, but who would also hear their prayers when they turned back to him and would restore the fortunes of his people. And here's a geographical survey. I don't think we've shown this one yet. Uh, Stefan, if you can just show that. You can see the journey that they made, and the, the red bit on the, uh, the, the bottom corner there is from Susa via Babylon. That's where Nehemiah went, and they made their way sort of over via some of those places that we'll know today, like Damascus, through what is modern-day Syria, down through Lebanon, back in to Jerusalem. So that's the historical and geographical context. Hope you uh, found it at least moderately interesting. What about then the hero, the hero of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah himself? Well, to introduce you to him, let me just read a few lines from one of the commentaries that I've been using, just to give you a flavour of the man, um, because he's definitely worth uh, getting to know. And it says this, Nehemiah must surely be regarded as one of the most inventive and resilient personalities in the rich tapestry of Old Testament biography. He was called to serve God at a time when the Israelite people were emerging from their traumatic years in exile, a stunned and uncertain people. Nehemiah is not a king, but his work reminds the people of great regal enterprises. He's not a prophet, but he speaks and acts reminiscent of the best of them. He does not belong to the priesthood, but supports the priests with enthusiasm and manifest priestly characteristics in everyday life. Nehemiah is a visible reminder to the Israelite people of the unchanging mercy of God. And hear that today. If you're feeling like uh, you've let God down, hear that he is a merciful God. And Nehemiah was the means by which he displayed his mercy in that generation and restored uh, Jerusalem to where it needed to be. Life had changed for those Jewish people, and some of their treasured institutions were no more. But the Lord was with them, raising up new people to refine and invigorate the vulnerable community, a trusted wine steward in a pagan palace, becomes God's instrument for Israel's renewal. But that's what he was, and it, it doesn't sound much to our modern ears, does it? But actually, uh, the wine steward was like a special advisor. It was a, a, a really, really trusted person. And that's why, as Sophie will go on to say in a couple of weeks, Nehemiah was able to make his request to bring people and restore the walls of Jerusalem and be released from his role, although he was certainly pretty nervous um, about making that request. And what's clear 
is that he was, lead, he was leaving a very privileged and enviable position with comfort, wealth, status, and security in Susa for an unofficial role now in a now devastated and largely derelict Jerusalem with all of the hassle, danger, and grief that that would bring. Think about the downsides of becoming prime minister in a pandemic and magnify it several times and you get an idea of what it was like for Nehemiah. There was nothing glamorous or desirable in any way about his new calling and its demands. Yet what qualified him for this call? Well, yes, it was his leadership skills, his wisdom, his courage, his experience, as we'll hear about in the weeks to come. But most of all, it was his spiritual heart and faith, reflected in his inquiries at the beginning of our passage that we heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, how the people of God were faring. See, his response to that, also in that passage, his grief, his fasting, and his prayer. Do we care that much about God's church, about God's people, about where they're at spiritually, about God's mission? Are we willing to give up things that we hold dear to play the part he's calling us to? Well, I want to unpack that parallel now as we move on to my third and final section. And although it took place, this story, almost 2,500 years ago, there are in fact many connections between the challenges that Nehemiah faced and the ones that we face today, even if the differences are all too obvious too. For like their context then, Christians in this country now are in a small minority. Like them, we were once in a deeply religious land, but we, the faithful ones, no longer call the shots. Like them, we operate only under the authority of a largely secular government. And like them, neither of us can set laws or have any particular military or political power. And we both have a lot of redoing, rebuilding to do, to provide the foundations on which a better future for God's people can be built. Now, of course, a major preoccupation of the first half of Nehemiah is the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And that was for reasons of security and status. Security, so the Jewish people had a safe place to retreat to in case of violent persecution of siege, or siege, which was not, of course, uncommon in those days, as well as providing the physical infrastructure that they hoped they would one day need for a new, restored, independent Jewish state. And status too, so that God himself would have a city and a temple worthy of his name, that he would be glorified by the physical uh, environment, the visible representation of God's glory and God's sovereignty. And I'm sure we can understand that physical concern too. But his concerns, Nehemiah's concerns, were not exclusively physical in nature. For the second half of the book is actually all about laying down what we would more call spiritual foundations. And of course, then the parallels with us only increase further. We're not putting up walls, obviously. Don't think our building needs any, but we're not metaphorically either. We want to break down the walls so people feel able to come in and join us easily. But as we seek to repopulate our church, which we clearly need to do, just as Nehemiah sought to repopulate Jerusalem, 
Well, we, like him, need to draw our people back to a life of prayer, of worship, of living in holiness and faith. Not just going through the motions as so many of us found ourselves doing in the pandemic. And like they did, the Jewish people in Israel were not living godly lives. But rather, both of us need to call the people of God back to that life of intimacy with him and of passionate commitment. And that's what God wants for us too. Because only if we do that, and only if he could do that, could Israel then reconnect with their calling to be a light to the nations. And likewise, only if we do that, can we. So this series is as much about spiritual renewal of us as individuals as it is of us as a church. So that we would be ready. Ready that God can do all that he wants to do to reach out to our community and see many come to know him again and grow closer to him again. And here are some of the themes that we're going to be looking at, just so you know how relevant and how diverse it's going to be. Next week, we'll look at knowing how to pray. And then it's planning and risk, discerning and casting vision, unity and spiritual battle, poverty, injustice and division, dealing with distractions, the steps to spiritual renewal, putting first things first, covenant and commitment, dedication and thankfulness, and finally, standing by our promises. This really can be a great series. I, for one, am really looking forward to it. I hope you are too. But not just because of what we can learn, but because of how we can change as God moves us from timidity to action, from fear to faith and confidence, and from maintenance to mission. And yes, like Nehemiah, we won't find things easy But we too can get things done. We can see progress. Those spiritual foundations can be rebuilt. The bonds of our faith community can be restored. Our calling can be discerned and renewed. And just like Nehemiah's walls, we too can see our visibility to our community transformed so that they know that we offer hope, safety and spiritual sustenance all so what's our response well it's here that we need to recognize that it starts with each of us as individuals choosing like Nehemiah to care deeply about God's agenda and God's heart his people and his call on our lives caring enough to ask questions to really find out how people are doing about where people are at with him And then really finding out about the challenges that individuals and the church faces and stepping up and praying and offering ourselves to God. That those things might be for us a holy discontent just as they were for Nehemiah. And a holy discontent is when we see that things are not quite as they should be. But we cannot rest. We cannot sleep easy. We cannot just sit there and watch without offering ourselves to be part of the way in which God deals with that thing. So are you up for it? Are you willing to care enough to be part of the answer? 
Are you willing to learn from Nehemiah to be inspired by his courage and his passion and his prayerfulness? And will you mourn when needed and fast and pray about what is not yet restored here in this church? About those who are still missing, those who are still anxious, about the apathy that people are struggling with, about the, the breakdown or the, or the distance in relationships. And will you offer yourself to turn that around, to be a friend, to be a community builder, to be someone who stands in the gap and says, I will see this church rebuilt. Well, in a moment, we're going to sing a song that I think reflects that attitude of openness to God and devotion to him that he's calling us to as we begin this series today. We'll sing this. And I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I want to pray for us now. And as I do, I'm just going to pause and I invite you just to be honest about where you sit in relation to that challenge that I've laid before you today. And then I'll pray for us. Father God, you know where we're at. We've just uh, identified that, perhaps, in that brief moment of silence. I pray that you would meet us in that place, that this term, you would transform us as individuals and transform us as a church by your spirit, through your scriptures, for your glory and for our joy. Thank you, Father. Amen. Let's stand and sing. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to Bye. 
So we come now to communion and we sung those words, all I have is yours, every single breath. And Jesus gave all that he had for us, literally every single breath. He died on the cross and as he did that, he showed the love of God, he showed the forgiveness of God. He brought about the forgiveness of God as he, the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb on that ultimate day of atonement took away the price, the punishment for our sins for all of us who choose to trust in him. And we welcome everyone.